Yes? I told you not to hang up on me. What do you want? To talk. Well, dial someone else, okay? Listen, asshole! No, you listen, you little bitch! You hang up on me again, I'll gut you like a fish, understand? <sighs> yeah. Is this some kind of joke? More of a game, really. Can you handle that? Blondie. Welcome to Trimming the Movie Fat, the podcast where we trim films from franchises that don't belong. I'm Stephen Nicholson. And I'm Paul Nicholson. And today we're sharpening our kitchen knives, donning a ghost face mask, and preparing to make some scary phone calls as we take on the original three Scream movies in part one of our shows dedicated to the Scream franchise. So which movies will survive the postmodern horror movie marathon? Wes Craven's seminal original, the university campus set sequel, or the Hollywood-based third? And come back for part two, where we'll take a look at Scream 4. So, the well, I suppose the remake celebrating the fourth entry, the requel fifth, and the brand new movie, which neither of us have seen yet, which is why we split this into two parts. That's out in, what, two weeks' time? And that'll give us time to to see the movie before, uh, yeah, then we'll take a look at four, five, and six uh, as one episode. Um, But I think based on, I think, what we've talked about so far, I think the the cream of the crop is is maybe in this episode, but we'll reserve judgment on number six. Number six does look good, to be fair, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen the trailer yet, but yeah. Moving the action to Manhattan, moving it to New York, Mm -hmm. so... Yeah, let's hope it's it's, it's really good, uh, but we will we will see. Um, yeah, but we'll also today share some interesting scheme facts, provide an overview of each movie, and share our thoughts on each. So, Paul, do you have a favourite scene from the the original trilogy? Probably just the iconic. Do you like scary movies? You know, just that. So it might even be, even at the start of the first one with Drew Barrymore. Uh, I just think Same it's for me. Yeah, it's just so iconic. Even if you don't know, any, even if people haven't seen the trilogy, or seen trilogy all the films now, but that line it's almost synonymous with Scream. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. That's I think that's the most iconic scene from any of the movies. Yeah, and it's almost like how to create a perfect 10-minute horror movie. That that if you like the pre-title sequence for mm-hmm. the original scream. Absolutely brilliant. Um and I always remember from the time when it was coming out, uh there was there was some really good um radio spot promos. Where you got to hear the voice, hello Sydney, and you were like, "Oh, mm-hmm. no!" It always made you sit up and notice. 
so yeah, I remember me and my friends really, really wanting to see this movie uh, before it came out. So Scream is an American horror slasher franchise that includes, well, what will soon be six films, a television series, merchandise and games. The films have to, to this date and today is well, we're, we're in mid February 2023. So uh, to this point, they have grossed 740 million US dollars at the worldwide box office. It was created by Kevin Williamson, who wrote the first two films and the, the fourth. And the first four films in the series were directed by horror maestro Wes Craven. So the five films currently um, are Scream from 1986, directed by Wes Craven. Scream 2, the following year, which is actually a pretty quick turnaround time, mm-hmm. uh, from 1997, uh, directed again by Wes Craven, and he again directed the third in the trilogy, which was Scream 3 from the year 2000. Uh, we then had to wait 11 years for Scream 4, which came in 2011, and that was the last one to be directed by Craven. And we then got the kind of, I think, what is termed a requel. Uh, like a prequel, but also a sequel <laughs> to the original movies. So we got that in 2022, and that was just called Scream. So not Scream 5, it was just called Scream. And that was directed by Tyler, uh, Gillette and Matt uh, Bettinelli Ulpin. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, and the highest grossing movie of the five released so far is the original. Hello? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Don't panic. Hello, Sydney. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Never, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back! Hello? Someone's out to make a seat. Body count is always bigger. The third one, all bets are off. Anyone, including the main character, can die. Do you think it's over? What's your favorite scary movie? The phone is ringing, and there's a man with a strange voice on it saying, get on with it. Okay, let's take a stab at the first movie. Hello? Hello? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. I am calling the police. They never make it in time. This is Gail Weathers with an exclusive. Authorities are baffled. Been warned by the killer. It all began with the scream over 911, like the plot of some scary movie. Hello, Sydney. 
visit me. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. <laughs> Never, ever say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. But anyway, let's talk about your role in it because uh, I would say you are the leading character mm -hmm. in the film, although it is kind of an ensemble film, yes. isn't it? In making this kind of a film, Nev, what you go into work every day and you've got to get to such a, um, an amount of tension at some days and then other days just, you know, let mm -hmm. it all hang out. I mean, what does the actor go through on these days? It's a good question, actually, because I was playing the lead and because I was in every day and we were working, you know, 14 hours a day and we were, we were shooting nights a lot of the time, it, it is sometimes challenging to be able to keep your energy as heightened as it needs to be for it to be real, you know. But Wes Craven was actually one of the best acting directors I have ever worked with in many senses. He's, he's very good with imagery and with visualization and being able to come up to you and whisper in your ear some kind of image that'll terrify you enough to, to put you in the place that you need to be. He was extremely helpful in that way. Could you give me an example of that? Uh, there's one example where towards the end of the film I've been traumatized in so many different ways and lost friends and all of that. And I, I had shot about 12 hours already and I was doing a scene where I'm almost going to be murdered and I've just discovered what it is all about with the film. And I was having trouble getting my energy up and Wes came up and he whispered in my ear and he said, imagine that you have like 10,000 bullets ricocheting throughout your body right now. And then he walked away and he said, action. And that was enough, you know, to give me the energy and the, and the, the terror that I needed to be able to play out the scene. On the other hand, it's a satire on violent and frightening films, and audiences who have seen a lot of horror movies are probably going to enjoy it more on that level. I have seen lots of horror films, and I did enjoy it because for once, the teenagers weren't making the same old stupid mistakes. Nope. They were making new stupid mistakes. Yeah, well, I've seen a lot of horror films too. Probably the same exact number as you. And Could I didn't be. get into the. I didn't get into the picture. I don't think it's really as much of a clever satire as you're suggesting because I think that it starts out as a as a slasher film and then adds this other material, this knowing material. But you still have to sit there, even if you're hip to the satire, Roger, and watch girls being stalked, ripped apart, and it isn't fun. So the attitude that I brought, which is always neutral to a picture was depressed at the 25-minute mark in this film, and I, you know, smiled knowingly at what the film was saying, but I didn't learn anything. I don't, know, Gene, I don't think it starts out as a slasher film. I starts, it starts out already as a satire. For example, the use of the big glass patio doors in the background for the telephone call. Yeah. Well, while, the, you're no, while you're noticing the glass patio doors being shattered, I'm noticing no, I'm a body. No, I'm noticing the fact that they're there. Okay. And I'm noticing a body getting shattered. And I'm not going on the high horse against you. I'm just no. saying, no, no, no. I'm saying that that's what I noticed, and it, I found it offensive. Okay, would you have enjoyed like this more if the characters had not been savvy? Uh, no. no, no, it would have been a worse picture, but I'm not recommending it. So, Scream, released in 1996 and directed by Wes Craven. So the plot for this one, the sleepy little town of Woodsboro just woke up screaming. There's a killer in their midst who's seen a few too many scary movies. Suddenly, nobody is safe, as a psychopath stalks victims, taunts them with trivia questions, 
then rips them to bloody shreds. It could be anybody. So the gross for this one, it grossed uh, 173 million US dollars worldwide on a budget of just 15. Um, so the profit multiplier on that is it made 11 and a half times its budget, which is great uh, for the people making it. And it was the 13th highest grossing movie of 1996. The number one being Independence Day. <laughs> uh, ratings wise, um, very positive. So on Rotten Tomatoes uh, for the critics, it's at 80%. And the critic meta score on IMDb has it at 60 feet. Can't say 60. 65 even. 65 out of 100. And audience wise, it has a very healthy 79% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb's audience rating. So here's a fact for you related to screen. So at 52 minutes when Henry Winkler, uh, so he plays the head teacher at the school um, on screen, uh, when he opens the closet, uh, his black leather jacket from his Fonz days, from, from being in Happy Days, is hanging in, uh, in there, which I've never noticed before. So I must keep an eye out for that the next time I watch it. And in summary, uh, horror icon Wes Craven's subversive deconstruction of the genre is sly, witty, and surprisingly effective as a slasher film in itself, even if it's a little too cheeky for some. So Scream, uh, did you see it at the cinema when it came out, Paul? Yeah, I think I did. I think I did. Yeah. Um, what did you think of it? I really liked it, yeah, still do. It's, it was just good because we'd like watched the 80s and stuff. Because it was always quite serious, the sort of 70s and then 80s, like Freddy Krueger and Jason, Mike, Michael Myers, the same Mike Myers, Michael Myers. And then in the 90s, it was kind of like, it was quite clever how they did it because it was almost like, do you know, it was almost like, you know, parody of the the films as well, like bringing all those in, incorporating all those things in, because obviously Wes Craven is involved in some of those other films in the eighties yeah. and seventies. So, no, I really liked. It. I thought it was really good. Just a fresh take on things as well, but almost like a sort of more violence could be do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, that's a good way of summarizing, yeah. A violent slasher Scooby-Doo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. it is, isn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what do you think made this different to what had come before? I mean, you're, you're kind of touching on it really with, you know, your Friday the 13th, your Halloween, your Nightmare on Elm Streets. What made this a very different type of movie compared to those slasher movies? There's almost a sort of, it, it was like not taking itself too seriously almost. It was almost recreating those things from the 80s, but kind of taking the mickey out of them a bit. So it was just a good mixture between horror and comedy almost, if you like. It was, I think, the first successful postmodern horror movie because Wes mm -hmm. Craven had tried it with less success in Freddy's New Nightmare. I remember yeah, the cast work. are haunted mm -hmm. by Freddy in real life. So he, he tried it less successfully with that. This was the first postmodern one where it was self-reverential. -rever um, mm -hmm. So poking fun at itself, but also at the horror genre. 
and the staples of the horror genre, like the, the big breasted woman or, or saying, or being a virgin or, uh, or be saying, I'll be right back and, and all those kind of things and actually poking fun at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but not in a nasty way and an affectionate way to, to those type of movies. So at that time, that was very, very new and very, very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as well, uh, and obviously it was written by Kevin Williamson, who was uh, on a hot streak at that moment. He had created uh, Dawson's Creek, which was a hit TV show. I, I love mm-hmm. that show. Not cool to say it, but I, I was a big fan of that show. So <clears throat> it's just a, a really well-written, well-made um, movie. I mean, it's a classic of the, the genre. It's a great movie. And, of course, it introduced Ghostface, um, who is now up there with your Michael Myers and mm-hmm. Jason Voorhees and, and all that. So what, what made Ghostface such a, an iconic and scary character? Well, so part of it is you didn't know who was behind it. That was part of it. But it was just quite sinister, the black and white. Yeah. And it could just appear. And, but also it's kind of like his face, when you look at his face, you don't know if he's, it's almost like, is he happy or is he sad? And because you don't know, that maybe makes it even scarier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just iconic. Yeah. I actually think the scariest aspect of him is less the mask, it's the voice on the telephone. Oh, yeah. Because I think that just, I mean, uh, you'll know ourselves when we were younger that mm-hmm. we would get phone calls to the house and it was probably just a fault on the line. But yeah, you'd answer and you just wouldn't hear anything. And it was actually real, especially if you were in the house on your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was scary. Um, but yeah, to, to have somebody with that voice, uh, saying they're watching you. I mean, that is, even now as an adult, somebody done that, it's, it's frightening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that I recommend doing it to anybody. It's, mm-hmm. uh, so I think, and, it, and, and that plays on another horror movie that John Carpenter, a made-for-TV one in the 70s called, I think it's called Someone's Watching Me, which I've not oh, seen yeah, in years. That was great. Yeah. But that mm-hmm. somebody would phone up and, and do that, and it's terrifying. So I think mm-hmm. that's, that plays a big part, uh, a big part in it. Um, and what, what about the rest of the cast? So we've got uh, Courtney Cox playing against type, obviously a big star in Friends. And, um, you know, she plays Gail Weathers in this, which is completely against type, against Monica Geller. So how do you think she comes across in, uh, in this movie? Annoying, but in a good way. <laughs> That's why you like her. Yeah. Uh, it's just a really good cast as well. And mm-hmm. it's, almost, it's almost like... Because obviously in the 80s, you had like Johnny Depp starting out in Mountain Elm Street and stuff like that. And it feels like, because you're saying the, the guy that wrote it was the same guy that did Dawson's Creek. So it was very much, it captures that period in time with all these actors who would, quite a lot of them would go into big things. And it was like, that was the sort of start of that. A bit like the Rat Pack in the 80s. This was like, or the Brat Pack rather, in the 80s. And this, this was sort of like the 90s equivalent of mm-hmm. that. A lot of the characters. In fact, I'm laughing you saying it's like a horror version of Scooby-Doo. You've got Matthew Lillard who went on to play Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo right, movies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that. And yeah, uh, you had the likes of Eve Campbell, of course, who was in Party of Five at the time. And um, uh, But yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a really well cast uh, movie movie as well. And, and the thing that I was reminded of recently re-watching it is I think since the last time I had watched Scream, 
I had binge watched Peaky Blinders, the TV show, mm-hmm. and I hadn't realized that the the song that they use in Scream is the theme tune to Peaky, Peaky Blinders, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but that was uh, quite interesting. And one of the things that I had read before rewatching it again was, isn't it funny how uh, Dewey, obviously the police deputy, doesn't act overly fussed that his sister's dead? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true, it's like just forgotten by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's fine. He's he's with Gail now, so he cares. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's a brilliant movie. It's, it still stands up really, really well uh, today, and yeah, a classic of the the genre. So we are going to rate these um, from uh, and put them as as top, middle, or lower tier. Where would you rate? Where would you rate? Uh, scream top, top, top tier. Mm-hmm. Yep, I would agree with you. Agree with you in that one. It is top tier uh, for me as well. So, Scream One, we love. Let's move on to Scream Two. So, two Windsor College students were murdered last night during a sneak preview of the new movie Stab. Starting again, Randy. This has nothing to do with us. Randy, a guy in a ghost mask hacked up two people in the movie theater telling our life story. Hi, Gail Weathers, author of The Woodsboro Murders. Do you think the killer will strike again? We have no evidence that this is a serial killer. It's a classic case of life imitating art, imitating life. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Do you think someone's trying to duplicate Woodsboro? It looks like it. I think you have a copycat on your hands, Chief. Some freaked out psycho trying to follow in Billy Loomis's footsteps. You probably already know. The way I see it, someone's out to make a secret. So it's our job to observe the rules of the secret. Number one, the body count is always big. Number two, death scenes are always much more elaborate. You just want to sit here and wait and see who drops next? I'm not interrupting anything, am I? scream didn't seem like that was that long ago even was it no a year ago two years ago felt like four minutes ago um it was a year ago exactly right now and they're they're making this new one which they promise is much scarier than the first one is that right yes sequels always have to be um scarier and there has to be a larger body count there has to be you know there's like a certain certain things that you have to do for a sequel more death this time around a lot more death yeah just in time for the holidays yeah uh now they use the same convention i guess in this movie that uh that they had in the first one, which is that the killer is calling on a cellular phone. Is that right? Um, yes, he does like to communicate through a cellular phone. <laughs> yeah, he's familiar with all the latest technology. Yeah. Uh, does he, um, I'm curious, who's the guy who does that voice in the, in the movie, in, this, in Scream 2? Who's the guy who's the killer's voice? Well, it's interesting because Wes Craven, our director, um, wouldn't tell us who the voice was, I mean, where the voice was coming from. And he actually, the, the, um, I've talked so much this week, I honestly can't talk anymore. That's how bad it Let's is. Let's stop the show right here, then. Good night, everybody. Um, wow, lucky us. Wouldn't yeah. that be great? Um, 
Anyway, he wouldn't let us see who the killer, uh, the, the voice was because he didn't want to demystify it or anything. So um, we were doing this one scene where it was David Arquette and Jamie Kennedy and myself, and we were mm -hmm. talking, and, and the killer's voice comes on the cellular phone. And between takes, you get, like, the real urge to talk to the guy. Like, who is this guy? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I'd, I'd pick up the phone and say, what are you wearing? And he'd be like... <laughs> Die, bitch. And I'd be, all right, buddy. <laughs> I mean, what? He's, yeah, he's really... He would stay in character? Yeah. Oh, my God, that's horrible. Yeah. There's a good deal of violence in Scream 2. It's bloodier than the original film, but the screenplay by Kevin Williamson is just as clever at devising dialogue that plays against it. This is not only a horror movie that knows it's a horror movie, but it's a sequel that contains a discussion of sequels. Is this as good as the original? Well, not quite, but it's close enough. I'm giving it a thumbs up. I'm giving it a thumbs up, too, and I liked it more than the original picture. Uh, maybe the challenge of coming up to a sequel to that one uh, is, is daunting, and this film pulls it off. I just thought that the writing was, the writing was smarter, and the, the number of characters that are yeah. being juggled in this screenplay, mm -hmm. I mean, normally you have, you know, a, a row of ducks that get knocked mm -hmm. off in these pictures, and here I got to know some of the ducks. You I know, mean, and... and uh, Kevin Williamson's screenplay does have a lot of really neat in lines in sure it. For it example, at one point, the Courtney Cox character is accused of posing nude on the internet. Mm -hmm. In her defense, that was my head. It was Jennifer Aniston's body. Right. That's, that's a funny line. Better than Minute Lice, Roger. I like that one. Come Scream 2 was released in 1997, again, directed by Wes Craven. And the plot for this one, we had Sydney, played by Neve Campbell again, and tabloid reporter Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, have survived the events of the first Scream movie but their nightmare isn't over. When two college students are murdered at a sneak preview of, Sna uh, of Stab even, a movie based on the events from the first film, it's clear a copycat killer is on the loose. Sydney and Gale, as well as fellow survivors, Deputy Dewey, played by David Arquette, and Randy, played by Jamie Kennedy, have to find out who is behind the new murder spree before they all end up dead. So the gross on this one, Scream 2 grossed 172 million on a budget of 24 million. So you'll note that that uh, gross is almost identical to the first movie. So the audience, pretty much the same people that went to see the first one, all came out to see the sequel. Uh, the profit multiplier on it was seven times its budget, so very profitable again. And it was the 17th highest grossing movie or a grossing domestic movie of 1997. And the winner that year was, well, what went on to become the biggest movie of all time, and that was uh, Titanic. Uh, the ratings for this, still very good. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics have this at 82%. So I think that, is that not actually better than the, the first one? Yeah, a little bit better than the first one, bizarrely enough. Um, on IMDb, the critic meta score there is 63 out of 100. Audience-wise, drops slightly here. Um, it is 57% on Rotten Tomatoes and 6.3 on the IMDb audience rating. So that's about, what, 1.1 uh, down on the original movie. Um, and here's a fact for it. Uh, Robert Rodriguez directed Scenes of Stab, which is the movie within this mm -hmm. movie. And in summary, as with the first film, Scream 2 is a gleeful takedown of scary movie conventions that manages to poke fun at itself um, and terrible, horrible sequels without falling victim to the same the same fate. So, Scream 2, did you rush out to see this one at the, the cinema, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, me too. It was, it was really good. What I would say, not as good as the first one, but it was really quite clever what it did with it, like all the parody, almost like sort of parody, you know, this is a sequel and 
in the film Stab, like you're talking about as well. And so there's times where you don't know, is that the film or is it? Yeah, it kind of keeps you guessing all the time. And yeah, like all the things about being the, the second one and it's all really, it's kind of having a laugh at itself at the same mm-hmm. time. But and a good cast, actually. You could maybe, mm-hmm. maybe even better than the first one cast-wise. But like it's good you have Sarah Michelle Gellar in, it, in this one mm-hmm. and you have Leave Schreiber in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heather Graham obviously has a cameo yep. in it. So it's Body Spelling. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like all the top top young actors at that point were in that film, really. You know, all the hot yep. actors at the time. So easy. <laughs> hot as in hot property. Hot property. <laughs> yeah, is that's what I liked about this. Uh, also the first one played with the conventions of the, the horror genre, and this one played with the conventions of the, the sequels, mm-hmm. uh, which was really, really good. And for me, this is this is the only worthy, really, truly worthy sequel that we've had so far to the, the original. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's not quite as good, but it's still excellent. It's still an excellent, excellent movie. Uh, and I like how they move to the college campus setting, which, again, plays with the convention of, uh, the kind of horror movie set at college campuses. Uh, we've got the same cast returning, and they're good. As you say, the the, the new additions to the cast are are excellent um, as well. And I think we're talking about Tori Spelling. I, th- I think it's great. Remember, they made fun of the fact that Tori Spelling would be cast as them when they were talking about them making a movie in the first movie and I thought that was quite good that uh, she was game enough to to play um mm. play, take on the role um in stab which was good and of course you, um, you get um Will Smith's Jaden Pinkett Smith uh, who's in the opening yeah. sequence this one and it's a really good opening sequence it's not as iconic as the original movie but it's a really really good opening sequence isn't it with the uh, uh, in the cinema where they're uh, it's kind of the opening night of stab Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's really quite clever. So you don't really know. It kind of keeps you on your toes. Really, a lot of times you don't know is that part of the film or is it part of the film in the film and things like that. It's quite clever how they do it. Yeah. Um, and I think you you mentioned Scooby Doo with Scream. This is even more Scooby Dooish mm-hmm. at the end, isn't it? <laughs> Where it's like, oh, who's the color? Oh, who assisted them? Oh, right. <laughs> People it's coming out, yeah. Mm. yeah. And how does Dewey survive this one, though? How many times <laughs> does he get stabbed and shot? And oh, oh, I think the big shock in this one was Randy getting killed. Mm-hmm. Which character's Randy again? The the Jamie Kennedy one. He's the geek. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember, he gets dragged into the van, the TV. Is that sideburns? Like sorry. Anyway, I think I know who you mean. Yeah, I think the other, the other part which was really effective for building tension in this one was when the car crashes and Ghostface is in the front, unconscious, mm. and Sydney's having to climb over. Oh, yeah. Uh, over there. Uh, Ghostface, yeah, that's really, really good. Um, and yeah, I think the Scooby Doo ish ending with uh, Mrs. Loomis is obviously a, a nod to Mrs. Voorhees from Friday the 13th. You know, you get the mm. reveal that she's uh, been planning everything. But uh, 
yeah, no, really, really entertaining film. Um, so where would you rank this one in terms of the screen movies, Paul? Uh, top, middle, or bottom? Probably the middle. Would you? Mm. Oh. Okay. Oh no, top, top. If it, it's for the screen movies, yeah, top. Yeah. So yeah, based on the screen movies. So yeah, it's a top screen movie. Um, for for me as well. Okay, we'll move on to the third one. Well, we feel the same about. Uh, so we've had the, the the classic original. We've had the worthy sequel. Um, we move on to, well, for me, Scream Three, aka the not as good as the first two trilogy capper. Yes. Uh, so yeah. shooting the first one Kevin was talking about he had an idea for the second and that he had actually conceived of it uh, if, if all went well as a trilogy which I found fascinating I mean the first attraction to this was just a really terrific first script but uh, the fact that he had the idea for two more and that it all formed a sort of interconnected story was really fascinating to me it feels good to finish the Scream trilogy and it feels a little sad too I mean it's been almost family you know over the over the four years um, but it's, it feels very, very good creatively because uh, I can't think of any other instances of a true trilogy where you have a story that involves the same characters going over the arc of three pictures. So it's been a very interesting uh, sort of directorial job also to watch uh, Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox and David Arquette and all those other characters grow over the span of years. It's quite unique. Something else. Okay, right. here we go with another series that has run out of steam, the Scream franchise. The original movie was a lot of fun with its characters who knew they were in a horror film, knew all the conventions of horror films, and talked about horror film cliches while they were standing in the middle of them. And that was great, but by the time they got to Scream 3, they were reduced to discussing the rules involving the third part of a trilogy. This wasn't a horror movie, this was a pop culture seminar. What do you know about trilogies? For one brief shiny moment, Scream seemed to have broken the hammerlock of stupidity that grips all dead teenager movies. You know what a dead teenager movie is. That starts out with a lot of living teenagers and they're killed off one by one except for one character left standing at the end to be in the sequel. Scream was about slightly older dead teenagers who were in their 20s. 
And it was funny, but Scream 3, I think, has definitely reached the end of the line. And even Scream 2, they did a nice job of acknowledging that it was a sequel yeah. and talking about that. But Scream 3 should have just been called Contractual Obligation, Scream 3. <laughs> and that would have been the real truth about this movie. Yeah. Real, just, a, just a formulaic thing, piece of junk. Coming up next... Two so yeah, this, this one came out three years after the second movie. It came out in the year 2000, directed by Wes Craven again. And the plot in this one, it's the, the final installment of the, the, the trilogy. A murdering spree begins to happen again, this time targeted towards the original Woodsboro survivors and those associated with the movie inside a movie, Stab Free. So Sydney must face the demons of her past to stop the killer, or is it killers? <laughs> so the gross on this one, it grossed 162 million worldwide on a budget of 40. So that is pretty much on par with the first two movies. So again, the audience has come out uh, to support the film. The profit multiplier made four times its budget, and it was the it was only the 22nd highest grossing domestic movie of 2000, and the highest grossing movie that year was uh, uh, The Grinch That Stole Christmas, which is rather surprising, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, ratings, so yeah, we do see the ratings start to fall here. So on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the critics have this at 41%. Uh, on IMDb, it is 56 out of 100. And audience-wise, uh, we're down again as well, uh, down at 37% on Rotten Tomatoes and 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, and here's a fact. Patrick Dempsey was hired the day before filming began and he had one night to learn three dialogue-heavy screens. And in summary, despite some surprising twists, Scream 3 sees the franchise falling back in the same old horror formulas and cliches it once hacked and slashed with postmodern abandon. And I have to agree with that, actually. So uh, I'm guessing you've seen this at the cinema as well, Paul. Yes, yeah. I remember going to see it in 2000, but with my then girlfriend at the time. What did you think of it? So I, li I liked it at the time, but it just feels, having watched them all again, it's, it just feels it's kind of a bit tired at this point, because I, I guess... At that point, from like, this was three years on from the second one, and they did a lot of films after that, like, I uh, know what you did last summer, which is pretty similar, like really good as well, but pretty similar. And, but I don't know, I just felt like at this time, time had moved on and it felt a bit old hat now, maybe. It's actually one that, yeah, I, I enjoyed it at the time. I, I knew at the time it wasn't as good as the first two. But it's one that I go back to every so often. I'll watch when I'm watching the other two. And it just goes down in my estimations each time. Yeah, I think in this one, it was great casting, having uh, Parker Posey playing Gail, uh, who's obviously going to be in Stab 3. I think she's a really funny character, obviously mimicking uh, Courtney Cox's Gail. Gail Weathers, that brings a lot of fun in it. And talking to Courtney Cox, I don't know who done the hairstyles for this movie. Courtney Cox says is an absolute shocker yeah. in this movie. It really, really is. Um, I think there, there was a genuine surprise at the beginning when Cotton Leary gets killed off mm -hmm. at the beginning of the movie, the pre-title. But of the three, it is the weakest of the three pre-title sequences. Yeah. Um, in this one. Would you agree? I think so, yeah. It's, I'd say it's getting a bit I suppose it's a bit like the James Bond pre-title sequence. How can you top it each time? And 
Yeah, but it was surprising to have that at the start. Yeah. Have Cotton really killed off. Uh, and I, th- I think as well, you know, the screen movies are good whodunits, but this one, when the reveal was made, you just thought, oh, please, just, yeah. You know, you just like, I don't buy it. Sorry. The, the mum, wasn't it? Sorry. No, 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 no. No, no. Sorry, it was the, was it not the illegitimate child of um, Sydney's mum? I knew it was something to do with the mum, yeah. Yeah. Um, he's the director of Stab 3. Yeah, it's just like, nah, sorry. Uh, and But yeah, Patrick Dempsey, uh, who's obviously went on to become a big star in it. Um, and I totally forgotten Emily Mortimer's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, so she's playing Sydney, isn't she, in Stab, Stab 3, is that right? Can't remember, but anyway, it's... Um, yeah, and I think actually another thing which I thought was stupid is Randy appears in this on a videotape. He's saying, "Oh, if you're watching this, then it must mean I got killed." And this fun, nah, that's just stupid. <laughs> uh, as good as it was to see Randy, you got Carrie Fisher as well. I've forgotten about Carrie Fisher being in it, mm-hmm. um, not playing Carrie Fisher, but somebody who looks like Carrie Fisher, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and. I just thought the the climax in this one just seemed to drag drag on. Although there was that sequence with Parker Posey as uh, behind the wardrobes, the see through wardrobes, and she gets killed. That's a good moment, but nobody can hear or see it. That was good, but the climax, yeah, just seemed to to drag on a bit. So I mean, for me, it's still watchable, still mm-hmm. a watchable film, but just doesn't quite have that magic of the. Uh, of the, the first two. Um, you in agreement? Yeah. And like I said, I think at that point, the genre was becoming a bit tired, you know. Yeah. Like, I know what you did last summer, and I still don't know what you did last summer. And the Scream films, it was good when it was new and it was fresh, but felt at this point, it was a bit, it, it was going a bit stale, all these sort of types of films. I think we're moving into the, the next horror genre at the turn of the century, which was torture porn, wasn't it? That was your saw and everything, yeah. Yeah, saw and um, hostel and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of moving into that well, territory. Well, I would say about maybe going to in the next podcast about it, but I really enjoyed the TV series. It was good, screen TV series. Yeah, that was produced for MTV, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that as well. I think there was two. Seasons. It's actually three series, but. I can never, certainly in the UK, you can't access the third series. You can only get the first two, but there's been three series. All right, so I remember watching the first two. Um, and yeah, quite enjoying it. No, yeah. I enjoyed them, they were good. It was decent, yeah, it was decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Scream 3, where would you rank this in terms of the Scream movies, top, middle, or bottom? The middle. Yeah, I'd be with you on that one. I think it's uh, it's in the middle. I think that's fair. Still, Still an enjoyable... Still an enjoyable film. We'll repeat this in the next episode, Paul, when we've actually uh, seen all six movies, but based on the first three, and I think this is probably quite easy and we're both in agreement, where would you rank one to three from least favourite to favourite? I'm guessing you're going to be the same as me in kind of three, two, one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be more interesting next time when we factor in 
four, five, and six, uh, where that's going to where that's going to go. Mm-hmm. Well, time to take off our mask and put the cloak away. But be sure to come back for part two, where we do take a look at Scream Four, Scream two thousand and twenty two, and the what will be new, newly released uh, Scream Six, which is, is out in a couple of weeks, as we say. So uh, yeah, I'm hoping that's going to be a return to form for the franchise. Um, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. Before we go, though, um, if you want to follow what we're doing or uh, get in touch to share your thoughts on Scream or anything that you want to talk about, movie-related, you can get in touch with us via our Facebook group. Uh, we're on we've got a YouTube channel as well, and we are on TikTok. And if you are going to any of those places, just remember to follow, subscribe, like, leave positive reviews, so on and so forth and so forth. And we'll really appreciate that. So hope to have you back for the concluding part of our look at the Scream franchise. And until then, keep slashing, uh, sorry, keep trimming. It's for you. Strange that you and I have never spoken on the phone. This is long overdue. What is this place? A shrine. (laughs) Did you miss me? coming after us. Maybe he gets to win this time. We've got to lure him in. And we execute him. Here you're a horror fan. It's been said. Everywhere Friday.